morning, Calvary. We hope you're doing well today. We are in the middle of a series called uh, Wise, Unwise, and it's walking us through the Proverbs. We have challenged you to read a proverb corresponding to the day. So today is uh, January 16th, right? Yeah. And so you're supposed to be reading Proverbs 16th. That's our hope, and so that we're reading this together as a church, and that we're talking about a passage that you would have read over the last week. So let me just catch you kind of up where we were. The first week that we did this, Sai talked about two words. There's the wise and the unwise. And really, the life is viewed as, are you walking in wisdom or are you walking in foolishness? The unwise walk in foolishness. And so that's going to result in two paths, which Drew talked about last week. There's this God's way that is both illuminated and beautiful, and then there's the other way, your way which is filled with danger and snares and troubles and trials. And at the core of everything, here's what I would invite you to understand today. God's way is beautiful. I love the illustration that Drew described last week of running in the morning and seeing the sun come up. And as we chase after wisdom, it's like the sun is rising. And so today, maybe you came in with a bunch of uncertainty. Maybe you came with discontentment. Maybe you came with struggles, worries, anxiety. Maybe your mind is running a thousand different places right now. Here's what I would encourage us to do right now, is to realize that God of this universe loves you right where you sit, is inviting you not just into a sermon, but into his very presence, is longing and desiring for you to know him intimately, to trust his ways, his direction, his wisdom which is good for us all. The reality is that wisdom is available for us all. In James, the Bible tells us that if anyone asks of wisdom, he will grant it. It is a promise. But do you ask for wisdom? Are you the person who seeks the gospel? Or are you the person who wants God just enough to make life complicated? Proverbs 12.1 addresses this very issue. Proverbs 12.1 is... We're in chapter 12 today, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'd love for you to highlight and underline some of this, but here's what Proverbs 12.1 says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. All the middle school boys in the room are like, <laughs> he said stupid, right? And stupid is really translated as foolish. Can we admit we're all foolish at times, right? But the passage indicates there are only two types of people, wise and unwise. And the way one determines if he or she is wise or unwise can be measured by his or her actions. Are the actions foolish or are they wise? And sometimes we have to learn that, right? Sometimes we need a course correction. Let me uh, just tell you a little story about Daniel Berry. When Daniel Berry was in kindergarten or first grade, I don't really exactly remember. I was at recess. And I was at recess, and I remember this very clearly. This day was very, very clear. There was this girl named Amber who was running by. And for whatever reason, I stuck my foot out, and I tripped Amber. Amber fell face down. She looked at me, and she said, why did you do that? And I went, I don't know. And as I watched Amber scurry over to tell the second grade teacher that I would later have, Mrs. White, I remember very clearly, I'm dead. And I remember Miss White holding the whistle up to her mouth and beckoning me to come. And I remember going up there and Mrs. White saying to me, Daniel, did you trip Amber? And I said, yes, ma'am. 
And she said, why did you trip, Amber? And in the way of an innocence of a little child, I uttered the following words, because I thought she was cute. <laughs> now, I'm sure Mrs. White in that moment wanted to kind of laugh, but uh, she assured me as I got to put my nose on the wall that tripping a girl is no way to make her fall for you. Ba-dum-dum. And I needed a corrective lesson there because my actions were stupid. And the reality is we all have actions that need a course correction. And one of the misnomers, the misunderstandings that we have when we get to be around the age of uh, 18 is we think we have life figured out, right? And so we stop correcting ourselves, and it's everybody else that needs correcting, and then we become angry and mad because everybody else needs to understand that the way I'm doing life is right, and, and we miss the fact that we are the ones that need correcting, and so we hear a sermon like this, and we think, oh, go get him, pastor. But the reality is the corrections that we need are often in our lives. And the proverb says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. And so we see the fact that we need corrections. We see a pattern. And, and Proverbs chapter 12 is really a follow-up of what we learn in 12.1. So let's look at some examples of how we need correcting. Proverbs 12.2 says this, The one who obtains favor from the Lord, one who is good obtains favor from the Lord, but he condemns a person who schemes. So there's a wise action and a foolish action you find throughout this chapter. And the wise action that we find here is that it's wise to seek the Lord's blessing, but it's foolish for scheming for your own benefit. To seek the way that the Lord wants you to live, to, to be faithful to Him, even when it doesn't seem wise to us, to trust that God is who He says He is and His words are true. It is wise when we seek the Lord's path, when we love what God is compelling us to. It is foolish. And the opposite of following God's way is doing things on our own ways. Do you realize that sometimes things can seem good to you? And later you go, that was dumb. Like when I tripped Amber, right? Oh, she's going to think I'm awesome. Whoop. You ever done that like adult life? You know, like, oh, this will be fun. I'm, I'm going, I don't know what, I'm not going to give an example here because I feel like it's just, would be foolish. Um, but the reality of what we're trying to see is we do stuff like that all the time. Are you living for the Lord? Because when you're living for the Lord, you're not going to serve yourself. What happens when you serve yourself is you go down a path that leads to danger. So Proverbs 12.3 describes it like this. No one can be made secure by wickedness, but the root of the righteous is immovable. So the wise action here is to live with integrity. To live the way that you are on Sunday morning as you are on Friday night, as you are when people are around, as you are when you're by yourself. To live with integrity, it means you're going to live fully bought into the picture that God has for your life through what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And to realize that as I give my life to God, he's going to bring me into his holiness, his presence, and his presence is going to illuminate the path I'm on and will change me holistically. But the foolish action is defrauding another for your benefit. Because you see, if you aren't living for God, then ultimately what you're going to be doing is living for yourself. 
You're going to be trying to find a way to subserve yourself, to serve your needs, to, to give you what you want. In other words, there's going to be a whole lot of itching and a whole lot of scratching of your own ego, of your own self. And sometimes you might think these things are holy. And a big part of this is really, if we really think about it, it's that we haven't bought in that God's ways are truly the best ways. And if we haven't really bought into the fact that God's ways are truly the best ways, then we haven't bought into the fact that sin ultimately destroys us. And if sin ultimately destroys us, and we really believe that, then the, the natural result of what happens is that, is that we will hate what sin does, not only to us, but to the world around us. We will despise the very part of sin that takes hold of us, that captions us, that leads us, that directs us down a dark path away from what his ultimate goal is, his way is, and this happens subtly. It was once said by someone who is way smarter than me, that the epitome of the modern church is a group of gathering saints who share in the same sins while condemning the sins they don't struggle with. And the reality is we'll stand up here on a stage and I could say three or four sins from the stage and everybody go, amen, pastor, that's wrong, murder, wrong, right? And a lot of times people want me to preach on those sins and what I would say is we already agree. But are we allowing God to take a hold of us in such a way that we are repulsed by the subtle sins that creep in, that take hold of us without even knowing. It'd be impossible for me to list all of them, but let's take just a few moments and discuss some of them. I've talked about worry a lot. I'm not going to spend a long time on that, except that worry is an established sin that we're allowed to carry in the church. Oh, you're just struggling. What if you hated worry as God does? What about gossip? Have you ever heard of prayer gossip? You know what prayer gossip is? Prayer gossip's when, oh, we need to pray for sister so-and-so. Did you hear she did this? What if we hated what gossip does as it destroys us? What about the sin of discontentment? The grass is always greener. If only I had the next promotion. If only I had the next job. I'm not satisfied with my life. I'm going to spend my life consumed with the next joy instead of finding our joy in the Lord, in his presence, in his peace, in his patience. And I dare say, if we came in and measured today, if we had somehow a way to tap into the neurons of your brain and ask the church, not only in this church, but in the Church of America, are you content with what God has blessed you with? I don't think we would find that the Church of America would answer that favorably. Do you hate the fact that you're never content? What about idolatry that creeps in? What about the fact that we don't always treat each other with the imagio day that we should? Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And yes, it is a day where many will have a holiday and not give a second thought, but have we thought deeply about the fact that every single human being was created in the image of God. That we are called and compelled to love because we should all want to walk in the presence of God. And the moment I feel like I'm better than someone or that's wrong. 
but we should live for the glory of his creation. And speaking of creation, that's one that we don't like to talk about at all. We realize that we were put over creation, that Adam and Eve in the garden were told to tend the earth. Do we do that well? I'll admit sometimes I struggle with that because it seems like a lesser thing. I've got so many other things in my mind, but when I read Proverbs 12:10, I see another example of maybe a need for correction in our life. It says the righteous cares about humans, about his animals' health, but even the merciful acts of the wicked are cruel. Let me read that again because I, I didn't say it well the first time. The righteous cares about his animals' health, but even the merciful acts of the wicked are cruel. So the wise action here is taking care of all of God's creation, both the pets and his earth. And the foolish action is using others for your benefit. I'm going to do what I want to do. And hear me, I don't think that's a political thing. I'm, I'm not trying to talk right or left here. I'm talking about Christian principles. Living a life that is walking in the way and in the nature God asks us to do and I'm asking us today because sometimes when we hear something that pricks our heart the natural response is to go oh yeah well what about this sin that why don't you address that or what about this and I'm asking us today to put down that and invite the presence of God into our life and allow him to take over us and steer us on the path of righteousness the discipline of the pursuit of the knowledge of his presence. To allow it to take over us to where you get goosebumps because God is so speaking and directing your life. And if it's been a long time since you've heard the presence of God, maybe it's because you're not allowing his Holy Spirit to correct the course of the actions of your life and bring you into the presence of his holiness because his holiness will always draw out the sin, and lead you to the light. Conviction. I'm convicted. But what would it look like if we really did that? You see, as I said before, our actions have consequences. Always. And in the eyes of God, yes, there are sins that have bigger earthly consequences, and rightly so. But every sin in our heart takes us away from the presence of God and should be despised by the follower of Jesus. So, how do we do that? Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. Let's just break that down. Knowledge, if you've been around here very long at all, knowledge is intimacy with God and one another. As Adam and Eve were in the garden, they only knew good. But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they went from only knowing good. The reason that tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is once they ate of it, they knew the difference between good and evil because they now knew evil. Intimacy with evil, allowing it to become something in us, through us. And ever since Adam and Eve, every human has faced that same thing. So in order to overcome the evil in our path, the overcome the evil in our direction, to overcome the evil in our life, we have to be open to the discipline of correction. So discipline is learning from correction 
are learning from our mistakes in this text. Learning from our correction. You know what happened when I put my nose in the wall? I never tripped another girl again. I hopefully wouldn't have done that without that. I hope a severe reprimand would have probably been good enough. Truthfully, the way I was, her holding up the whistle did it for me. I was done. But the reality is sometimes we need that correction, right? Are we learning? Or are you the person who just keeps going and sitting there going, well, my family's got to accept me. That's my personality. No, it's sin. Personality, yeah, you may annoy people with personality. That's okay. Maybe you're not as punny as you think, right? That's not a sin necessarily, but the sin is sitting there going, yeah, I know I'm a gossip. That's just my personality. I know I'm discontent all the time. It's just my, I know I'm a worried person. I know I'm bitter all the time. I know I'm angry all the time. That's just my, no, it's not. That's sin, and you should hate it. And so, as my piano teacher used to teach me, every time you practice something wrong, it takes seven times to unpractice it to get it right. Some of us got a lot of unpracticing to do, you know what I'm saying? So the way that we do that is we have to learn to love discipline. Love here is the human affection as a father with a son. That's the Hebrew word for love in this passage human affection in other words you love discipline as a father can't help but love his son or a mom can't help but love her child right fathers love their daughters too saving the emails i'm not I'm just reading the scripture here the idea here is it becomes such a natural part of you you can't escape it when was the last time you loved when you had someone call you out when was the last time you loved the idea that god said you know what? Your life is leading you down a path of destruction. You're making poor decisions and justifying it over and over and over again. When was the last time you felt so in love with what God wants that you sit there and go, I can't do this anymore. Correct me. Don't spare the rod anymore because you're spoiling the child. Bring it. And yeah, it's going to be painful. But through the rebuke, reproof comes. Healing comes. Holiness comes. So we have to love, and then we have to hate evil. The perversion or the practice of, I could have probably skipped that one, but it just, that's what it is. Hate evil, the perversion or the practice of so here's what I want you to see. The foolish learn to despise the ways of God. This foolishness leads to evil every time. So if you aren't loving the discipline and the correction of God, the Bible is telling us that what will happen is you will love evil. When you start justifying your actions, and hear me, every one of us is guilty of that at some time. When you start going down the path of self-serving righteousness, which isn't right at all, then what we're going to be doing is going down a path of destruction, and the innocence becomes uninnocent very quickly and will destroy you. But the wise learn to love the ways of God, and this love leads us to a just life every time. When was the last time you invited 
the discipline of God into your life. A course correction. A setting of a pattern of life that's holiness. Now hear me. We all have imperfections. We will all stumble. However, one way to measure our growth in wisdom is our ability to receive reproof or correction. In other words, the perfectionists in the room need to breathe because you'll never be perfect, okay? <laughs> Amen. But the longing for the reproof is a sign that you're headed on the path that's headed in a holy direction. Does that make sense? When you're open to correction, it means you're on the path that will lead to holiness. So correction is reproof, similar to discipline, but implies there will be some friction. You know what you don't like about friction? It burns. Burn, right? You may not like the original friction it causes, but the idea that the stupid person wants to avoid the tension by denial argument is stupid. So, as you look through this passage, and then we're going to come to the daily training, and the daily training is a little early because I'm going to give you some more points here at the end, okay? But here's 12 ones, begins this passage, okay? With whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. And then he gives all kinds of examples in this passage of the wise and the unwise, the person who's willing to accept correction and not accept correction. And he concludes Proverbs 12, 28 with the following. There is a life in the path of the righteousness, and in its path there is no death. Do you want to have life? Hate your sin. Not just the big sins. Any sin. You will not be perfect but allow the correction in God's holiness to lift you up and heal you. And the way that we do that is we realize that we aren't always open to correction. So here's our daily training today. I want you to correct your correction posture. <laughs> correct your correction posture. So, okay, that's, if that's our daily training, and, and we're going to practice that in a minute right before we have uh, communion of the Lord's Supper, I, I want us to understand why we resist correction. And this is a, a list by Kathy Ferguson Linton from the North American Mission Board. Here's, here's four reasons why we might resist correction. It is rarely delivered in a completely pleasing manner or context. When someone corrects us, they're usually mad, and they may be incorrect in their correction posture. And so you're sitting there going, you want to correct me? Look in the mirror, bro, right? But is there still truth there? Okay, the second reason, the person who delivered it is flawed, maybe even more flawed than we are. There's a psychology, a counseling term for this. I'm not going to get into all that, but it's the, oh yeah, you want to point out my faults? Look at the log in your own eyes, sister, right? Well, that's justifying your sins by saying you're a worse person than me. It's not dealing with the sin in you. Okay, third. We love ourselves. A lot. Daniel, earth. You, earth. And you know what happens when we do that? We have a whole lot of planets colliding. Right? The sun is the center of our universe. And we all get around that orbit, we find peace. 
we are self-deceived about our true condition. That's true. Maybe you came in here feeling really holy. And don't worry, we're going to leave a little more positive than I am right now. But the reality is we are all flawed. Once again, the sign of holiness is being open to the correction and allowing the Spirit to take us into the path of righteousness. You know how good it feels when you finally overcome a habitual sin, a sin of habit. Not that you're ever fully recovered from it, but it hasn't mastered you anymore. It's freedom, joy. So how do we receive correction? First of all, I want to explain this applies to our relationship with God, but a practical way to know you do this is to measure how you do this in your household. Guilty, thy name is Daniel. Okay? So how you practice in your household will show you how well you do this, not how well you do it with strangers. All right? First, how do you receive correction? Lower your fists. I haven't punched anyone ever. You know what I'm saying here. I'm like, you're angry, you're fighting, or another way to say that is raise your head up out of the sand if you're a flighter, right? Lower your fist or get your head up out of the sand is another way to look at that. Embrace the friction is what that's talking about. Second, lean in, listen, and learn. What if they're being a jerk? You don't have to be a jerk. You may still learn something. But what if they're a horrible person? Well, then in another time, another place, you can try to correct them on that. What if they're wrong? Just because you lean in, listen, and learn doesn't mean that you have to accept everything they say. It doesn't mean they're right. And a lot of times people have confronted me, and I've gone back to another person and said, is this right about me? And they'll go, oh, yeah. And I'll go, oh, blind spot. Or sometimes they'll go, no, they're just wrong. And I'll go, oh, good. What else do I need to work on, right? And then finally... A third, uh, apply a positive correction attitude because you can't just stop lying. You have to tell the truth. You can't just stop a behavior. You can't just stop worrying. You can't just stop anger. You can't just stop bitterness. You can't just stop gossip. You can't, all of those things that are accepted in our church, you have to find the corrective posture, corrective action because actions always have consequences, right? Then fourth, ask for accountability. I'm, I'm not saying that Accountability doesn't have to be like a huge thing. And there are some times we have Celebrate Recovery, and some of us need that. We invite you to come to that. It's Tuesday night. Ask us more about it later. But sometimes accountability is simple for me. Like, here's a perfect example. It's quite often in my household, I'll say, you know what? I probably already had four of my wife's sugar cookies. I don't need any more today. So I will say in my house, if, if anybody sees me going for another cookie, would you slap my hand? Now, at that moment... I have two boys. I'm not going for another cookie because I don't want my hand slapped. And I really don't need the accountability anymore, right? But me asking for the accountability means that I'm resolute that I will not do it. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking we can overcome something on our own. But if you say it out loud, there's a whole other level of accountability. Now, if someone invites you into accountability understand the balance of grace and truth making them feel like a horrible person ain't gonna win is not gonna allow them to win i'm trying to get rid of the word ain't from my vocabulary the texans hard it's a measure of accountability people okay is not the right thing to do 
But what we're trying to do is allow ourselves to be open, our hearts softened for the presence of God. Guess what? You're going to fail. What do we do? As the old saying says, the saints fall down and we get up. And we fall down and we get up. And we fall down and we get up and maybe that's why we practice communion. If our deacons would help pass these out at this time, if you do not have one of these, if you'd raise your hand, we'd love to help you uh, get one. If you have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to take this and go ahead and rip off the two layers. There's two layers, one with the cracker and one with the juice. We'll take them together in a moment, so hang on to them for just a moment. But when Jesus was gathered with his disciples in his other room, here's the people he was going to trust the world with. And right as he's about to practice this, he says, Peter, you think you're holy? Before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to sin three times. You're going to deny me three times. And you might come out of here resolute, and before the day's over, you might have yelled at your dog. And that's the best thing you did for the day. Don't give up. Be resolved to a righteous path. Some of us have a whole lot of unlearning to do. Here's the good news. You got the rest of your life to do it, and when eternity comes, you will not struggle with it anymore. But for now, know that God loves us because he sent, the Father sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus was saying that. He said to his disciples, if you have a relationship with me, I want you to understand that whenever you take this, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, my blood was poured out for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And here's the challenge. Church, correct the correction posture. Be open to allowing God to draw us in. What needs to come out of your life? What is sin that you need to come out with? What is the course correction that you need to make? You probably can't list, you could probably list 30 things, right? But what's the one thing this week you want to really fight to give over to God and invite accountability into your life, either through a small group, a friend, Probably not a spouse, bad idea. Roommate's a good idea. A parent's a good idea. Probably not a spouse, probably a bad idea. Have I already said that? But who can you invite into that, allowing you to bring into a course of correction? So Father, we long for your wisdom and your presence. We long for your holiness and your guidance and direction. God, right now there are some battles going on in our souls. Are we willing to give over the things which we have justified for so long? Are we willing to let go, to rejoice that you have overcome death and so you can overcome our little things? 
God, in this moment and in this room, we ask that you take hold of our hearts, our mind, our souls. God, that we would rest in your presence, that your grace and your truth would fall on us, that we would resonate with your holiness through what you did on the cross. Oh God, we long for your presence. We long to see a movement of your presence, not only here but in the world. God, catch a fire of our souls. Let it spread. For the glory of your renown, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.